excited to be sharing with you guys this morning. This is one of my favorite seasons. It's hunting season. Yep, opening day starts for me in five days. Black Friday's just around the corner. <laughs> Cannot wait. Got to provide for my family, you know. Those $20 crockpots don't just show up at your house. You got to go out. You got to find them. You might not realize there's actually two avid hunters on the Grace Assembly staff. Pastor Doug, obviously well-known for his uh, ability to kill things, but also my ability to hunt and catch. You know, Pastor Doug hangs his trophies in his office wall. I put mine front and center right in the living room, right? 24-inch rack, try 70-inch, diagonal, ultra 4K, right? $350 off MSRP. I'm getting buck fever just thinking about it. Woo, hair standing up. Hearts racing. Cannot wait. Pastor Doug and I both uh, have a lot of similar uh, tastes when it comes to our our ability to hunt. Both of us uh, providing for our families. We both get up really, really early in the morning. If you're going to hunt well, you need to know the land that you're hunting. You've got to be aware of your surroundings. And if you've been any Black Friday hunting before, you know... The territory changes, right? The stores get tricky, don't they? They, they? they hide things around the store. And if you don't put the trail cameras out, if you don't go and scout the land beforehand, <laughs> like a fool, you're running to the electronics section looking for big screen TVs when they're over in the women's lingerie department. <laughs> right? Tickle me Elmo's in the camping section. Heaven forbid you not know where he's at. So you got to go and you got to scout the land beforehand, make sure you're prepared, able to, to find what it is that you're looking for. Um, usually a hunter will mask his smell. He doesn't want the other deer to, to find him. A lot of times, grossly enough, they use deer urine. Um, ironically, depending on how long you've been waiting in line, there's also the smell of urine um, on Black Friday. Um, but that's for different reasons. Experienced hunters, um, they've got different tricks, things they've learned over time that kind of gives them an advantage. Um, I, I, I'm the same way over my years of, of uh, shaping my craft. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. Don't use it, though. So the trickiest thing when you're Black Friday shopping, if you're able to harvest whatever it is that you're looking for, is then you've got to stand in a five-hour line to check out, Right? So one little trick that I have used is I take whatever it is I'm looking for and I hide it in the store so I can come back later when the lines are shorter. So I'll shoot stuff up in the diaper section on the top rack because who's, who's shopping for diapers on Black Friday? They're never on sale. I can, trust me, I've had enough diapers to know they're never on sale. And nobody's reaching for the ones way up on top anyway. So you take that waffle and iron and you just chuck that baby up over the top. So on Black Friday morning, if you see me scrambling through the diaper section, know that uh, I'm going through my loot that I've buried like a pirate in the diapers. A couple of years ago, the the hunting and and game commission on Black Friday decided that uh, they needed to regulate how much you could uh, hunt, how many you could take in a season. And so just like in deer hunting, they, they will assign you tags. So you wait in line for the store to open, and then right about, uh, about 20 minutes before the store opens, the employees come out, and they've got tags that represent the number of whatever they have inside, right? Because how many of you know you look at the store ad, you're like, this is the best deal ever. You get to the store, and you find out they've got two, 
right? And there's 52 people in line looking for those two items. So they start passing out your deer tags. You start passing out your deer stamps. See who's going to get them. Now, I have found whatever it is they're passing out, you just take it, even if you're not interested in that thing. Because you might get in there and, just, and change your mind. Or it's a great bargaining chip, right, for somebody in line. Like, hey, who's looking for the PlayStation 4, right? You know, heaven forbid on a Sunday mor- or on a Christmas morning, you miss getting whatever it is that dear little child is waiting for, right? How many of you felt the heartbreak of not having a Hatchimal on Christmas morning last year as people on eBay were selling them at a 500% and more up, up, up mark? You know, those poor little babies, they wake up in the morning, they're expecting PlayStation 4s, and when they see the iPad, their hearts are just broken. <laughs> just broken. It is ironic and disturbing, though, isn't it, the whole Black Friday thing, right? So the day before, we're sitting with family. We're so thankful. The week leading up to uh, Thanksgiving, we're posting on social media so strangers can see all the stuff that we're thankful for, all the things that are so great in our lives. And then this switch flips on Black Friday, and all of a sudden, our focus narrows, and we've got one goal in mind, right? Trample whoever's in front of you to get to the thing that you need so that someone else doesn't get it. And so the, 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 um, there's, something, there's something broken with our hearts. It's not supposed to work that way, right? And that doesn't just happen on Black Friday either, does it? One day is like the best day of our lives, and if the next day is not the next best day of our life, all of a sudden we forget so quickly what we have and what we've been given and what we should be thankful for. And so our lives are ruined because we don't have what we think we deserve or we don't have what we think we should have. And so it forces us to ask the question, are you thankful? Are you really thankful? Or do you believe that everything you have is a, that, that's a blessing? For, do you believe everything you have is a blessing from God? Or do you really believe that you've earned it somehow? that you've been good enough, or maybe you wonder why it seems like God is withholding his blessings from you because you thought you were doing everything right. Are we truly content, or are we just waiting for the next iPhone to come out? Or do we just get bored with what we've got? Are we really thankful? Or are we just saying the words because we're supposed to say that because we're Christians? And if we do say that we're thankful, do we live like thankful people? Do we live a life of gratitude? Do we even know what that looks like? What does it look like to live a thankful life? Why does it seem that there is this persistent tension within us related to our contentment, and our thankfulness. So quickly the, flip, the switch is flipped. Allow me to propose to you this morning that I think the issue is a matter of perspective. I think it's a matter of perspective. Let me tell you, actually let me show you this morning. What I'd like for you to do if you're willing is to take your finger and point it up like you're giving the number one. Now stick your finger in the air and start to spin your finger in a clockwise position. Now, if any guests were to walk in at this very moment, I'm curious what they would think of our church. All right, so as you're spinning your finger, now slowly bring your finger in front of your face and then drop it below your chin and tell me what direction your finger is spinning in now. Counterclockwise, uh-oh. Try it again. Here we go. 
Clockwise spinning. Slowly drop your hand. What direction is it spinning in? Counterclockwise. Let me propose this morning that the issue that our heart has is a matter of perspective. Now, the rest of you are going to be like, you're like, what is happening? I know I'm not changing my direction. It's a matter of perspective, right? When our perspective changes, our relationship to the event changes. Your hand is not changing directions. And if, the, if it is, then there might be some neurological disorders that you need to figure out. Our perspective has changed. When it's above us, it's clockwise. When we're looking over the top of it, it's counterclockwise. Keep doing it. It's fine. It'll be fun for me to watch. There's no magic. There's no trickery. No special spiritual gift that I have of making your finger change directions. What's happening is the perspective is changing. Our relationship, when perspective changes, our relationship to the event changes. I believe that's the case with most things in our lives. As a matter of changing our perspective, how we see a situation and how we relate to what is happening. We're going to take a look in the Bible this morning and find some answers for our questions about thankfulness and more specifically to help us properly adjust our perspective and live a life that is truly thankful. If you've got your Bible with you or something with your Bible on it, can you open up to Ephesians? Um, I'm going to, I also have it up here for you as well. I'm actually going to be reading from the English Standard Version, which is not one we typically use here, but there's some specific, uh, the way that the English Standard is written, they really um, hold close to some of the Greek words, and there's some specific words I want to highlight. Now, your version is saying the same thing, it's just sometimes we use different words depending on who's talking, and the same is true here with the, the Bible as well, depending on the translation, the words are a little bit different, but I want you to know we're all reading the same Bible, the truth is the same regardless of your translation that you've got there, unless you've got some weirdo translation. Um, The book of Ephesus is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. What a great title, right? Like, that was helpful when they they wrote the Bible, or when it was written. Um, So there is a a place, um, there, there are the Ephesians, and the book of Ephesus is a letter written by Paul to the Ephesians. And uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning in the first chapter of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is split up into two main sections, two main themes. The first section, the first three chapters of the book, um, have to do with uh, explaining how great and how wonderful God is. It talks about his nature, how faithful he has been to us, and how he has provided everything that we need through Jesus. The second half of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, Um, says, so in light of how good God is, what is our response? How do we live in light of God's faithfulness? We're going to start reading in verse 3, but before we do so, for the sake of the English teachers in the room, I want you to understand the, the, first, the first several verses here, verse 3 through verse 10, when it was originally written by Paul, is one wicked, bad, long, run-on sentence, right? It's the kind of thing where if you're the English teacher, you get your red pen out and you're just marking it all up. Well, the re- I want to read it all together to you because I want you to understand how all the thoughts are one consistent thought. Uh, and I want, I want to read it to you in such a way that you can kind of hear it the way Paul intended it. And then we're going to go back and we're going to break it down a little bit and look at some of the more specifics that are there. So I'm going to read through uh, the verses 3 through 10 together if you want to follow along with me. 
Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Perhaps one of the the best topical sentences, the best run-on sentence in all the Bible can be found right here at the beginning of this chapter. Paul uses the language of in Christ or in him or in the Lord Jesus 40 times in Ephesus. The whole of our salvation can be summed up in the reference to this relationship that we are in Christ. Being united with Jesus is not just a singular specific blessing that we are given at salvation, but rather it is the best phrase to describe all of the blessings that we have of salvation in relationship with Christ. We have been chosen in Christ, it's said in verse 4. We have been adopted in Christ, it says in verse 5. Redemption and forgiveness is in Christ, verse 7. Purpose is found in Christ, verse 9. Until the final uniting of all things in Christ, it says in verse 10. Let's look back and we'll kind of break this down a little bit more slowly because there's a lot to absorb in these, in these passages. Look again with me back at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Our entire blessedness, all the blessing that God has given us, our victory, our happiness, our hope is all bound up in being in relationship with Jesus. That's great news. That means that God's blessing is based on his record, based on being in relationship with Jesus, not ours. Certainly something for us to be thankful for. Let's keep reading at the end of verse 4. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. I want to point out the word adoption here real quick. In the Greek, the original word that Paul uses for adoption is a word that's pronounced euthesia. And this word identifies for us that we are children of God. But more importantly, euthesia specifically meant that we are a child with full inheritance rights. We have all the same rights that a biological child would have. 
that's significant for us because we're not just added to God's family. We're not just one more mouth to feed. We're not just another person that needs to be taken care of. We have become heirs with Christ. We have the same rights and the same privileges that any child of God, a.k.a. Jesus, has through relationship in Jesus. And all of this is done to glorify God through Jesus. And it was his good pleasure to do it. He did this to glorify himself. He adopted us into his family because he wanted to. He wanted to do this. It wasn't because you were good. It wasn't because he took pity on you and was like, oh my goodness, all right, come on, we'll take you. It was his good pleasure. It was for his glory and his grace that we have been adopted as children with full heir rights. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The word redemption, which is apolatrosis, I know you love all the Greek, don't you? Um, It occurs three times in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It means ransomed or restored by payment of a price. Redemption. It meant ransomed or restored by the payment of a price. As a a dad of young kids, and if you're a parent of young kids or if you've ever been around young kids before, I understand this ransom idea um, in 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 a different sort of way. So something magical happens with kids under the age of four. I have three of them. Uh, At around 7 p.m., something unique happens at that time, and it is the time in which the four-year-old becomes a terrorist. At 7 p.m., hostage negotiations begin to take place that surround around the need to get them to bed. And so if you can convince them somehow, trick them to get into their pajamas and have fun spending way too much time and way too much water brushing their teeth, All of a sudden, as you begin to walk through the entryway of the door, the hostage negotiation begins. And as a parent, the the objective is to get the child to sleep. The child has his own thoughts or her own thoughts in mind, and so she begins to negotiate with you how many trips to the bathroom, how many drinks of water, that one last little snack. You wouldn't let your poor baby starve to death before going to bed, would you? And so the negotiations begin. Now, as a dad, as a parent, we can't let the terrorists win. We don't negotiate with terrorists because when we do, the terrorists win, right? Now, grandparents, you are terrible hostage negotiators, which is why when mom and dad come home at 10 o'clock, the kids are still awake. They have gotten everything that they need and are wide awake. There is a ransom, a price that needs to be paid. To be redeemed, it also relates to this need to be rescued, a need to be set free, and there was a price that needed to be paid so that we could be set free. The term redemption is a very fitting one because it shows how spiritual salvation was attained by the payment of, of a ransom. 
the price Jesus paid to save and restore us spiritually was extremely costly. It was through his blood. I say this a lot, and mainly it's to remind myself, but it's good for all of us to remember. When it comes to this idea of salvation and the free gift of salvation, it's easy for us to think in our economy that a free gift is a cheap gift, because often a free gift is a cheap gift. But in God's economy, this free gift is not cheap at all. In fact, it cost him everything. It cost Christ everything to pay the ransom for our freedom. It is an extremely costly gift. Jesus' personal sacrifice covers the full range of human need. It didn't just set us free from bondage of sin. It has set us up for hope for eternity. This includes our need for forgiveness, our need for spiritual liberation and restoration in right relationship with God. It provides our need for peace and for love, for new life, for purpose for our life, for a community to feel safe and grow in, for acceptance, for security, for hope, and for victory in our lives. Jesus' ransom has paid for all of that for us. It wasn't just paying us to get in the door and then everything's a la carte after that. It has paid everything in full and it cost him everything to do it. Everything we need has already been given to us. The next time you feel like you're lacking, change your perspective and realize you are lacking nothing. Everything that you have has been given to you. Let's keep reading in verse 8. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now that's a lot of he's and him's and his is in there. But one of the things that you need to know to be able to put all this in proper perspective is that it was God's wonderful plan is not dependent on our faithfulness or our goodness. It is all birthed out of his goodness, out of his faithfulness to the praise of his glorious grace. And so we don't have to wonder whether it's going to follow through or not. Because it is for God's glory, because it was his good pleasure, he will see what he has begun, he will finish to the praise of his glorious grace. But when our perspective is off, we convince ourselves that we're either not good enough and God is punishing us if we don't have the things that we think we should, or worse, we think that we are good enough that we don't need God, and that any blessing that we see in our life is a reward for our own goodness. And sometimes that can be even more pain, uh, poisonous. But it has nothing to do with how good or how faithful you are or aren't. It has everything to do with how good God is, how faithful God is. And so we need to change our perspective. It's not about what we have done. It's about what has been done on our behalf. But when our perspective changes, our motivations also change. 
when our relationship to the event changes, our motivation changes as well. Now we live lives as followers of Jesus, not to earn his love or avoid his punishment, but because it is an act of worship to, to the praise of his glorious grace. We are thankful and generous and kind and loving and forgiving and compassionate and on and on and on, not to show God uh, or, or for us to, to make him see us, but we do it so that others can see the great thing that God has done for us through Jesus. And so our motivation has to change when our perspective changes. Let's look in verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The specific understanding of this phrase, the fullness of time, is this idea of when time was ripe or at just the right time. If you are a gardener, if you've picked fruit or or vegetables at any point, you know that there is a specific time when the fruit or the vegetable is ripe. If it's picked too early, it's bitter or no good. If it's picked too late, it can go rotten, it can spoil. And so there is this idea of when it was ripe at just the right time. A specific time and a specific moment for God, everything would come together. And that specific time was when Jesus was repairing us through his work on the cross. The central theme of this passage, in fact, the central theme of the entire Bible is that God has effected cosmic reconciliation through Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth restored through the work of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus on the cross is the central access uh, the, the central axis of history, the central axis of all of creation, hinges on the death and resurrection of Jesus. In heaven and on earth, what Jesus did reunited and restored all those things. So how does this all look in the life of a thankful person? How does this change our perspective? How do we live this out The deeper we grow in our understanding of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, the more we fall in love with him. When we begin to grasp what we have have been given in Christ versus what we think we deserve in light of our, versus what we deserve in light of our sin, then we can't help but be thankful. God has given us a new identity. He has given us purpose. He has given us meaning. He has given us forgiveness and mercy and grace. And we deserved none of it. Do you know what we deserved? We deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation from God. But that's not what he gives us. He gives us something to be so thankful for. The deeper we grow in our understanding of the gospel, the more we fall in love with him. If we maintain an eternal perspective and can see how everything we have, everything we truly need has been given to us, then the result is a thankful life. A thankful life is a life that has been given 
back to God. That is how we show our thankfulness. It is our act of worship. It's not just saying words or saying prayers. It's giving your life away. It's surrendering my selfishness as a, as a thank you to God so someone else can see the beauty of Jesus. It's us saying, because you have given me everything, the least I can do is give my life back to you. And here's the amazing thing. When we give our life, when we lay our life down, when we give it back to God, it should have been to death. But when we give our life away to God, when we worship him as an expression of our thankfulness, you know what God does? He takes our broken life, he takes our sinful, poisoned, corrosive life, and he gives us back a new life. He takes our dead heart and he breathes life into it by his Holy Spirit and he gives us a new life. You know what kind of sacrifice we make when we give our life away? We get a a restored, renewed life. Pretty small price for us to pay. Does it mean we have to give up some of the things that we like sometimes or some of the things that feel good or sound good or... um, allow us to be a little more selfish. Yeah, but what a small price to pay. Does it mean we have to get it perfect every time? No, that's the beauty of the price that Jesus paid on our behalf. It wasn't just for the moment of salvation, but it was to extend forgiveness to us, unending forgiveness. A life with purpose, a life with meaning, a new identity. Everything we're already looking for in the selfish choices that we make He has given us all of that. He takes us and he makes us more like Jesus. So in the good times, we're thankful because we know what we really ought to deserve. And in the difficult times, we are thankful because we are reminded that our hope is not for today, but our hope is for eternity. And the work that God began, he will finish to the praise of his glorious grace. In the midst of our pain and heartbreak, remember the promise found in 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. On our most selfish, unthankful day, on the day that we think to ourselves, I can't believe this didn't happen, or I can't believe this didn't come through, or I can't see any hope for what's going on, And we think if God would just listen to us, if he would just do what we know is right, then our lives would be blessed and we would give thankfulness. I want you to remember that our minds can't even imagine the good that God has prepared for us. Your best vision of the most wonderful life you could have seems silly to God in light of what he has in store for us. All the stuff that you wish for, that you had today, all the things that you were certain that you were missing out on is foolishness compared to what God is preparing for you. So if you live your life in such a way that others are looking at, we live our lives in such a way that others can look at our lives and if they think that our hope is found in this world, then we're sending them the wrong message. 
if you scroll through your social media posts and someone were to look, examine your life and realize the highs and lows that you have are based on the things that have or haven't happened in your life that you think should or shouldn't have happened, are you communicating the right message? We do the same thing not on social media as well. Am I really living a thankful life? And so we have to change our perspective. Do you believe that the gospel is true? Do you really believe it? If so, are you thankful? Are you really thankful? Take a look at this video. Today I lift my eyes to the heavens and count my blessings. I think of all my needs that were met today. The clothes on my back. A place to lie down tonight. Nothing miraculous or earth-shattering. Just the small things that help keep me going day after day. Thank you, God. I have a food on my table. Help to get me through the day. Good memories I've shared. All the beauty that makes life special. Thank you, God. I'm blessed by what I can see and touch. What I can feel in the moment. But Lord, you transcend feelings and moments. You sacrificed your life so that I could see beyond what's under my feet and over my head. <sighs> Thank you, God. That kind of love keeps my heart free. During seasons where peace is hard to come by, even when I can't see or touch a blessing, I know I can close my eyes and say, Thank you, God. I've, I've lost a lot this year. Things I worked hard for. Dreams I was sure were going to come true. People I never wanted to say goodbye to. I walked a hard path of trial. And pain and despair. But I never walked it alone. Even now, I can say thank you, God. Because no matter what is set before me, dark valleys or green pastures, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when this life is over, I'll dwell with you in your house forever. So I just want to stop and tell you. Thank you, God. 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 amazing what a little perspective change will do. I've, I'm going to wrap here in just a moment, but I, I've been to Haiti twice, and perspective change there, it's very warm in Haiti, very humid in Haiti, and I remember every time I felt a little breeze of air, my heart was thankful. And I remember thinking to myself the last time I was there, when is the last time I said thank you, God, for a breeze in Syracuse, New York? But because my location, the relationship to what was happening was different, my perspective was different. I believe this morning if we can change our perspective, if we can maintain an eternal perspective, then we can begin to live a life of thankfulness. Let me read one more passage for you out of Psalm 100. This is what it says. As you hear it, think of what you're thankful for. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness is to all the generations. Do we live a thankful life? Are you really thankful? Because when we read this passage from the Psalms, it has absolutely nothing to do with, God has given me so many great things. I live in a great house, in a great neighborhood. I've got a great job. I've got a pool. I've got a 70-inch screen TV. And that is why I'm going to thank God. No, it says we thank God. We thank the Lord for he is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. Do you know why you need steadfast love? Because he knows that life is hard. You don't need steadfast love if it's easy and you're always in reminder of what's going on. You need steadfast love when our love is so quickly feigning and and waving. So someone needs to be steadfast. And thankfully it's the Lord. So how do we respond today? If you have a relationship with Christ, then pray and ask the Holy Spirit to change your perspective, to keep an eternal perspective, that my hope is not for today, my hope is for eternity, because I am in Christ. Everything that I need can be found in him. If you're still in the midst of a journey of trying to figure out who Jesus is and whether you should have a relationship with him, then then you can also pray. That's the amazing thing. You can also talk to God and ask him to reveal his truth to you, to show you what we really deserve and the amazing steadfast love that he has lavished.